is Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a brand new show hosted by me, Asha Saluja, and this is my fourth episode. Bushwick Junction is a show about life's inflection points. It's about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, how we make our pro-con lists, or how we throw that out the window and tap into our intuition. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate? Or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I'll have a guest tell me all the big decisions they've ever made in their life in order. We'll start with birth, we'll fast forward to their first big decision, we'll map out the road of their lives as a series of inflection points or junctions. So with that, I'm going to introduce to you my fourth very special guest. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Tiffany Diane. Um, I am a native Texan and I live here in Brooklyn. So that was Tiffany's brief introduction. I'm going to give you her slightly more non-brief introduction. (laughs) Uh, Maybe she was a little hesitant to brag about herself over the radio. This is, uh, I guess it's your first time probably broadcasting live out to the world all at once. 100%. Uh, So Tiffany is an editor and a journalist based, like you said, in Brooklyn and also an activist. Is that a fair description? Yeah, I like that. Um, and another thing that... Uh, so the first thing I like to ask on this show is, tell me about the circumstance into which you were born. And as a corollary to that, I think people have had trouble with this question, but I'm waiting for the time that it really sparks a good conversation. So I'm going to try it out on you, is what might have been a normal life circumstance for mm-hmm. someone who was born like you, someone who was born into the circumstance that you were born, like a, a normal life outcome. What what did your parents think your life would look like? Okay, well, um, I was born to uh, immigrants, to Chinese immigrants from Taiwan. Um, I was born in Midland, Texas, the home place of George W. Bush. Oh, interesting. And I was also born to a hospital where there were no other Asians like at the time anyway uh-huh. and a funny story or it's actually not funny more like horrific but um a story that my parents like to tell me uh is that when i was born the nurse tried to mark for my ethnicity yellow <gasps> that is mortifying yeah yeah so i guess someone who's born into my circumstance and you know i i was born and raised in texas uh new york is the first place i lived outside of texas um did you go to school is, in Texas? Yeah, I went to school at UT Austin. Um, but I feel like, you know, my parents definitely expected me to go into, you know, more of like a math or science field. They wanted me to be an engineer. And uh, I I could have easily, you know, turned out that way, but I decided to take a different route. Yeah, I I think now hearing you say that, that my interest in that question comes from having one parent who's an immigrant, also an Asian American immigrant. And like, I think that's an Asian parent thing, like Mm. having an idea of what your kid will be like. Whereas 
other ethnicities of parents leave it a little bit more to fate yeah. not to generalize but yeah yeah i mean it's obviously sort of a stereotype um mm-hmm. but it's one that i've unfortunately seen to be true for basically all of my asian friends who are you know first generation born to immigrants um so i don't i don't you know see that as necessarily too damaging and uh, you know as far as obviously non or people with non-immigrant parents you know, there you know there's a range of things but i definitely don't see as much of the pressure whereas you know a friend of mine who's like filipino who i went to college with her parents forced her into engineering and she had no other choice otherwise they wouldn't have helped her out with her college education yeah that's fascinating that's that's one uh stranglehold that our parents can have on us if they have the ability to help us with our education it's like this it's like this negotiating chip that is hard to mm-hmm. argue with and I think could temper our decisions along the road. Yeah. So what's the first big decision you ever remember making? And I we've talked a little bit about your first big life decisions, but mm-hmm. this could also be a fun opportunity for a childhood anecdote. Like what's the, the first thing you ever remember doing of your own accord? Hmm. I guess... I feel like I, when I first started to be able to buy my own clothes and dress myself, I feel like that was probably the first time I really took a lot of agency uh, for myself. And, you know, I pretty quickly became known as someone who was like supposedly fashionable or stylish um, because I used to. And I remember in fourth grade, I think I loved to just color coordinate things. So I would just wear like all orange one day or all That's green so one day fun. um and so i remember in like sixth grade when they did this our class did this weird impromptu just like self um nominated self-voted um like best in class type thing uh i ended up being the most like fashionable and i remember being very proud of that and um you know fashion style and just like anything that's kind of like artistic or you know aesthetically pleasing has always been something that you know caught my interest yeah i think that's a fun first uh kind of like a first foray into creativity that we get as children and mm-hmm. that women are probably encouraged into sooner than than men traditionally like that's a uh almost like uh a way that we're allowed to access our emotions really early on, mm-hmm. right? Like as a kid, you're allowed to, ex- ex- like the, this most basic form of self-expression. Yeah. Is fashion still a part of your life now? It is, but not in a, not in as big of a way as I thought it would have been when I was young. Um, I feel like I thought that I was going to go into a field that was sort of fashion and art related. Um and, you know, when I was younger and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I, I factored that in a lot. Um, but I think that coming to New York and kind of seeing what the actual, you know, like field and the scene and how it felt, um, I, I sort of felt myself distancing myself from it. And, and while I do love like great style, I don't think I necessarily really associate with like the fashion industry as much. Yeah, it's kind of intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So more of a self mollifying self-pleasing part of your life than mm-hmm. one you want to associate with outwardly yeah yeah i think so um so with that we can get to your first major junction which like i think many people of our generation is 
like where you decide to go to college. Mm -hmm. That's kind of unless, like I mentioned, your parents have that bargaining chip where they can like kind of <laughs> push push your fate a little bit. Uh, I think that's the first place where we often individuate. It's the first like big act of self definition we ever do. Yeah. So talk about that decision for you. Um, well, I I knew actually I feel like I knew earlier on than most of my classmates that I wanted to go into journalism. Um, and that, the only reason why that even came to be, though, was because growing up, I was really into literature. I loved reading and writing. I thought that I was going to like write a novel. <laughs> I feel like I thought I was going to write a novel by now, which I have not. But um, we can we can get to that. Yeah, yeah. So I was really interested in creative writing, but um, I knew that my parents were never going to let me go into a liberal arts major. Um, so I kind of like just negotiated within myself, and I thought, well, journalism is a great route for that, you know, where I can still write and, you know, be semi-creative, but I can sort of lay out this groundwork where it it can be argue, arguably a more logical career choice. Pre-professional, ultimately. Yeah. You're, you're, with a lot of college majors, they beg the question, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. And journalism, <laughs> it says it in the name. This is what I'm going to do with that. Exactly. So, you know, after deciding what I wanted to do for school or in school, I ended up um, sort of basing my decision on what college I would go to based, you know, based on that. I applied to colleges with good communications schools. And, you know, that included um Mizzou, Missouri, but mm -hmm. that I did not want to go to. I didn't want to move to Missouri, so I didn't do that. Um, and then, of course, you know, there was uh, Boston University, Ithaca, University of Texas, which does have a really good um, communication, communication school. And I ended up kind of taking the more practical route and I went to um, UT Austin. And, you know, I lived in Austin for six years and I really liked it. So was that the more practical route because you lived there? Yeah, yeah, in-state tuition, um, and also because the other colleges I wanted to go to were all up north, because I obviously have an affinity for, you know, being in this tri-state area, um, and I was really just kind of wanting to, like, be independent and, like, move out super far away from my parents, mm -hmm. um, and, but then, you know, when I really did the obvious, like, cost comparison, and then even just, like, the comparison with rankings, um, Things were boiling down to basically like Boston University or UT Austin. UT Austin was only, I think, like two notches down from Boston University as far as um, college rankings went. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, probably like a fifth of the price. So I just took the practical route and I went to UT Austin. I knew that's also what my parents definitely wanted me to do. Yeah, I super relate to this thing that you're talking about of like looking at the rankings mm -hmm. and knowing that that's leverage for mm -hmm. your parent, like being like, <laughs> oh, well, I think that they'll be into this because see, it's on paper. Like mm -hmm. it's it's this analytical argument that it's like the most objective information you can find about this big choice in your life. Yeah. Um, how did that turn out? I definitely don't regret it. I really loved Austin um, as a place to you know, kind of like come to age. It was, you know, a safe enough and small enough community, but then it definitely had a lot of the like big city thrills. You know, there was always something to do. I went out like all the time. Um, and I really like imbued myself into the like Austin nightlife and like fashion scenes. And 
personally really enjoyed it. I don't regret living in Austin at all. Um, so seems like everyone loves it there. Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to love. Um, but then at the same time, you know, they call it like a velvet rut for a reason because it's so comfortable. Ooh, I've never heard that velvet yeah, rut. Velvet rut. So you're really stuck. Yeah. But, okay. But it's, it's so comfortable <laughs> it's that so you don't nice. realize it. Yeah. Um, did you have fun? Was college really fun for you? Uh, definitely. I mean, I first of all, I went to school for only three years. I really wanted to be out in the real world. So mm-hmm. I did, you know, like winter semesters and summer semesters just to like get out faster and also, you know, save some money, which is good. Um, but at the same time, you know, while I was in school, I wasn't super, super involved, like in the school part. Obviously, I went to classes. I made good grades. Um but I really more so enjoyed like venturing outside of that and into like the Austin scene and, um, you know, hanging out with who I thought were like the movers and shakers of Austin and and trying to really like grow up really fast and and be more of like an adult and not just a college student. I super relate to that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think they're almost it's like this binary of people. There are some there's some people in this world who want to grow up faster and there are Mm -hmm. some people in this world who can't seem to grow up fast enough (laughs) and i am totally in that first camp i've always wanted to be in the next stage of life while i'm in the current one yeah i think that's still me today honestly i feel like i'm at a point where i'm just starting to like slow myself down in that regard Mm. um are you still you you mentioned trying to connect with the movers and shakers do you Mm. feel like do you feel like that panned out in any way that impacted your later life? Like, did you connect with any movers or shakers who played a role later? I, I mean, yeah, I think so. I, so this is always, I don't know why, but I, I find it a little bit embarrassing, but I was an Austin blogger. Um, when That's I, cool. When, when I was in school, I was, you know, like I said, I was trying to just like expand my horizons on my own and, um, you know, I wanted to write, obviously. So I started this blog called Austin is Burning. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, like Paris is Burning. Yeah. Um, and it was it started out originally where I was just trying to make it this personal blog. Like I was just wanting to like write about my experiences, um, you know, and of course, a lot of that did have to do with like me going out and me dressing up and all of that. Um, so it ended up sort of like evolving into this nightlife blog in a way because I was writing about all the parties that I would go to or that I could go to. And so I started like listing out just every event that was happening. And so that was what ended up kind of like drawing people to the blog was, um, you know, I would basically just like list an itinerary of events that were going on that weekend. Cool. Um, so that was great because it did open up doors. Um, from there, you know, I ended up getting like featured in the local paper and like local websites and stuff. Um, I remember this magazine that is like now not a thing anymore called Rare, like ranked me as like the Austin's best blogger and Nylon ended up like reaching out to me because of that. They were looking for local bloggers in several cities uh, to do these newsletters uh, and they selected me as their Austin like daily newsletter blogger. So that was really great. And and from there also, you know, I, I met a lot of really cool people that I feel like still I'm friends with today and have helped me out a lot. Um I met this woman, Esty Choi, who ended up hiring me for her online boutique, bydefinition.com, which is also no longer a thing just because, you know, the passage of time. Yeah. But um, but yeah, and she's still and she lives in New York, too. So she's helped me out a lot where when I first moved here, she helped me get like copywriting jobs and, 
you know, I still list her as like a reference on my resume. So cool. So the answer is yes. Like you totally, (laughs) that's a really cool college story. Like that's, like, like that's an immense amount of success for a college student. And it also sounds really fun. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So this sort of sets you on the path that you are returning to or still are still on mm-hmm. today. So what happened? What happened to your blog? Like when how did you wrap that project up, if at all? Yeah, it's definitely wrapped up. Um, I stopped. I finally actually stopped paying for that domain name because I kind of held on to it for a while thinking that someone was going to pay me a lot of money for it. But <laughs> um, maybe I just don't really understand uh, the Internet as well as I thought I did. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I when I moved to New York, I thought I was going to like pivot it into this like different kind of blog. Um, that was just going to be a personal one, but you know, I'm sure as you and everyone else who lives in the city knows, it's just so much more fast paced that, um, you know, I had to, of course, just find jobs and stay really busy. And I didn't really have that same time to like take to myself and do something like run a personal blog or, you know, try to promote it in any way. So I just kind of let it like fade away. And so it's no longer a thing. But, you know, I still do credit the blog for like a lot of my like later success because I feel like it opened a lot of doors just because people saw it and they noticed it and they, you know, wanted to hire me to write for them. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember your decision to to pull the trigger and do it? Or did it start as a very personal project? Mm, yeah, it, it did just start very personally. Um, and I definitely wasn't trying to get people to like necessarily read it or anything. And I just I remember, you know, sh- just slowly throughout time, like people started to like subscribe to it because that was how Blogger worked back then. Um probably still does but I don't I don't really blog anymore <laughs> kind of a dinosaur yeah yeah I'm like people use uh, Squarespace now I guess but um but yeah I just remember it started just gaining this attention and this traction and I was like oh hmm, I guess I I should really like go for it and just do something with this and yeah I felt like it just helped open a lot of doors cool yeah I think there's really something to be said for starting like starting a pursuit that is also the most fun thing that you would also be doing anyway, mm-hmm. right? Like even if, like what you just described, the type of pursuit where you would be naturally doing that on your own time in private mm-hmm. feels like it can be the most powerful start to the most exciting paths. Yeah, yeah, I definitely believe that. Um so the blog's wrapped up. You finished school in three years. Impressively. <laughs> Congrats. What is next? What happens after that? Well, I, li- I lived, I stayed in Austin for, um, I think, two years after graduating. I was just kind of like, honestly, having a great time with it at first. I had these opportunities. When I first uh, got out of college, I was hired as the editor-in-chief for this Um, you know, student publication that is also no longer a thing um, called The Horn. And I, you know, was working for SD at doing By Definition, uh, which was the e-commerce platform. So I was like an e-commerce manager. And this um, is still living in Austin. This is still in Austin. Yeah. So I had, you know, like a couple of things that were just definitely keeping me there. I was, you know, like living in my cute little studio apartment. 
on the east side and i just really loved i loved the lifestyle and like i said it can be this velvet rut um where did you so live really close to ut sorry to interrupt you. uh it wasn't it wasn't super it, it was like close enough to campus uh when i was at ut i uh, mostly lived like you know in or around campus um but then once i graduated i moved um a little bit further away to Maynard, which i don't know if anyone listening is familiar with austin but um it's just like east austin but like only a little bit north of ut campus um and so yeah i I stayed in town for two years and then i the next big decision was moving to new york and that has a weird story to it as well can't wait to get into it two years though yeah yeah did it feel how did that feel like did you feel like you were did you feel the velvet rut happening to you or were you excited to be where you were or were you like yeah not knowing what to do next i so i always wanted to move to new york that was always kind of the end goal how always i i mean i think well first of all i wanted to go to new york for school so um i definitely wanted to like as early as high school that i can remember um had you been before did you just have the idea in your head it was it was mostly an idea, but I I did go on I think one or two family trips where we went to New York, but mostly only saw Times Square. So right, um, it wasn't even necessarily like the experience of being here that drew me to it. It was just the concept of it, you know. Yeah, um, watching, the experience like, itself yeah. was probably horrible and Times Square oriented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cool. So this was an idea in the back of your mind. Yeah, that and... I wanted to move here, but I stuck around in Austin, um, semi out of practicality again because I had the jobs and I knew that I could you know live stably there i was i was living in a studio apartment for six hundred dollars so oh my god Don't yeah. Talk about it. <laughs> yeah what tell me about the like in those two years mm-hmm. did the idea of moving to new york nag at you or are you kind of like oh i like did you feel this increasing momentum of needing to make it happen i think the first year i was there after college I didn't feel too much of that nagging, but then the second year I definitely did. Um, and that was 2011 because I moved to New York in 2012. Um, but you know, I think that, you know, also I was like, when I was first out of college, I was like dating someone and yeah, you know, there's always reasons to like stay in your hometown or whatever. But, um, as these opportunities kind of started to run out. Like I said, the um, e-commerce platform ended up going out of business. um, And, you know, we basically like wrapped all that up. I like, you know, held all these pop-up shops to like sell all the rest of the merchandise. And so that ended up kind of like running its course. Um, And then, you know, I ended up leaving the student publication because I was getting further away from being a student. So I didn't really feel like as attached to that. (laughs) That stayed your welcome. Yeah, exactly. and so, you know, as these opportunities were running out, I started to feel a lot more stir crazy. I was like looking for jobs in town and things just weren't really panning out like I thought that they would. Um, and of course, there was always still that beacon of, you know, wanting to move to New York, but just kind of always thinking like I needed to wait till the time was right. Um, and that never necessarily happened, but I felt catapulted into it. Be- by these two things wrapping up. 
Um, not just by that. There was actually kind of more to the story. Let's go for it. Um, so that last year I was there, um, there was just like a series of unfortunate events where I felt like I was having the most unlucky year ever. And I think those happen sometimes. Yeah. It comes in waves. I don't know how into astrology you are, <laughs> but I just got really into astrology and I'm convinced now that those series of unfortunate events years are related to some energetic force in the universe, just pulling your life's strings. I, I'll admit that I definitely read a lot into astrology, or not a lot, I can't admit to that, but I, I read a bit into it, and it's something that I give a lot of thought to. I'm still not sure You're if not I'm a convinced. believer. Yeah. I believe, I'm, I'm with you. There's yeah. no way, you have to be agnostic about yeah, it. No one can yeah. prove it. But, but it's still very interesting, and yeah. I will say that sometimes things are just so spot on that it makes me want to believe in it. So let's talk about your yeah. series of unfortunate events. Okay, so 2011 was the shittiest year ever. Um, I remember that I was broken up with by my boyfriend. What month? Um, that was in September 2011. Okay. Um, and then I feel like maybe it was a month or two after that. And this was also, he broke up with me like a month before my birthday, which, you know, that sucked, but yeah. whatever. Um, and then I remember a little bit after my birthday, I got robbed. Um, oh my God. In this really messed up way too, where, um, I had a, you know, a purse on my shoulder and a friend of mine was talking to these, random i think they were teens honestly in a pt cruiser i always remember it was an orange pt cruiser they were wow. probably driving their like mom's car the or something. least badass car yeah. and they and when i my friend had distracted me enough and it, he wasn't in on it i think he was a pawn basically they grabbed my bag on my shoulder and drove away as fast as possible and dragged me into the middle of the road <gasps> Oh my gosh. So I was obviously like, that was a terrible experience. That's I was so, so shocked. Traumatic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was traumatized by that. Were you injured physically? I had road rash, you know. Oh my God. Um, I don't, I didn't have to go to the hospital or anything and I was sore afterward, but, um, I don't think that anything actually damaging really happened, which is good. Okay. Um, and luckily there were no cars coming. So I wasn't, you know, hit by a car, which would have been the worst probably possible outcome. Um, but yeah, so I got robbed and then I think that I was also in an accident after that. Um, I, I was hit on my scooter. I was, I had a scooter at the time, a little like Honda Passport and that was my mode of transportation. And so I remember being like downtown and just heading home. Um, and a drunk driver in a Ford F-250 um, hit me <laughs> on my scooter. Wow. And was that, it at night? That was at night. Yeah. I, I feel like it was just like midnight or something. And I'd only been out for like a little bit and I was just headed home. And he apparently had like um, a blood alcohol level of twice the legal limit and admitted oh. to having like 16 pints of Guinness or something ridiculous. I think that's a song. <laughs> um, wait, so did, was he, was that a legal battle also? Like that was also a legal battle. Um, and I will say that this was also weird. I don't know if it was a sign or anything, but um, I did end up getting a settlement out of that. And that settlement did help me move to New York. So, so that's a major junction. Yeah. <laughs> Those are, that's, Okay, so those are two really bad junctions. Yeah. Well, I can't speak to the relationship, but it sounds like that ended up being an okay junction. Yeah, it was okay. Discarding men from your life is yeah. never that bad of a junction. I agree. <laughs> Getting robbed, it sounds like 
Sounds like there was no bright side to that one. But yeah, yeah, so these three kind of catastrophic events in a row ended up being really traumatizing, but Mm -hmm. also really transformative. Yeah, yeah. And I I just felt like I was being ejected out of the city, honestly. I was like, I'm running out of opportunities. These terrible things keep on happening to me. I think it's threes. That's a crazy story. It does feel like the city was ejecting you. If it wasn't the moon and the stars, it was that does sound like the universe conspiring to get you here. (laughs) Or at least get you out. Yeah, definitely. Has anything bad like that happened to you since? I mean, I know bad things have happened to you and mm-hmm. us as a society, especially this year. But has yeah. anything like really fucking you can curse on this podcast in case you're wondering <laughs> Thank you. really like terrible and cruel only to you? Has anything like that happened since? I feel like I I can't say anything like 2011 has been as bad up until 2016. And that was more of like a, you know, countrywide you know, a griefment, not so much of a personal thing. Yeah. Um, of course, I think that everyone has taken it very personally, understandably, because it is, you know, the personal is political. Don't trust anyone who doesn't. Yeah. And so I would say no, that was definitely to me my unluckiest year. Um, afterward, my mom got me this lucky bracelet that I'm wearing now still. Aww. I put it on at midnight of 2012. It's like apparently a Chinese like good luck thing. That's um, beautiful. And I haven't taken it off since. And I, I'm a little bit now superstitious that if I take it off, that more bad things are going to happen. Wow. But since that, no, I haven't had anything like that awful happen. Um, you know, knock on wood, of course. Do you mind if I take this detour? And if you don't want to talk about this, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to get into committing to tattoos. And mm-hmm. I noticed one on mm-hmm. your, not in me personally, on the show. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to talk about <laughs> decisions to get tattoos because I feel like that's such a junction it's like thinking something permanently on your body Mm -hmm. I don't know how many you have for the listener I just noticed when Tiffany showed me her wrist one one was under it Ooh, (laughs) seems like I asked about a good one yeah this do you mind telling us the story uh yeah I have one two I actually have one two three four five six tattoos um, and they're all like not too big or anything. I don't have anything colored or like a full sleeve or anything like that. They're all kind of like small trinkets. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that's on my wrist that you saw um, is actually a Friday the 13th tattoo. Oh, like a flash. That, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And so this one I got um, before I moved to New York. It was just kind of like a fun thing that I did with my friend. But um, my first one I got when I turned 18 um, on my foot. It's a peace sign. It's Love also, it. it's my secret tattoo. No one really ever sees it, but, um, you know, I wanted to get a tattoo on my 18th birthday. So I did. I have a secret tattoo too. It's my area code on my ankle. Really? Oh, wait, yeah. so you do have a tattoo then? Uh, no, I do. I, okay. yeah, I have a couple. I just, I want to talk. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure if that holds a lot of interest for people, but mm. it's kind of crazy to me. That you can walk into a room mm-hmm. and then come out like a literally different person yeah. physically for the rest of your life. That's true. Whether it's plastic surgery or tattoos or. Yeah. And I've, yeah, some of them have been spontaneous decisions, like yeah. the Friday the 13th ones. I've, I have two actually. I got one this year. It's on my um, arm. I don't know if you can see it, but oh, yeah. It's a. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, I really liked that. Um, but then the rest of them, I've I've typically like given more thought. I think the one that's on my back is probably the one that I thought about for the longest. I think I thought about it for four whole years before I got it. 
Wow. Yeah, it's a um, the outline of a paper crane. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, so it had like some symbolism for me, and um, I, I wanted to be very sure that I wanted to commit to it because it was the second one that I got after my peace sign tattoo, which I wasn't quite as sure of. So right. Yeah. Do you are do you have different relationships to those? I know we just sort of confessed our secret tattoos, but do you do you feel any sense of shame about the secret one, or do you feel like it's part of your part of your journey? Yeah, I think it's just part of my journey, and I can't hate on peace. So yeah, that's not a bad one to be <laughs> yeah, honest. Nothing yeah. to be ashamed of there. Yeah, it okay. could have been worse. So we can get back on track now. <laughs> uh, resuming with your move to New York. Yeah, so I've been in New York now for um, five and a half years. Um, I moved here, like I said, in 2012, um, and I've been in Brooklyn only since because I love Brooklyn. Why live in Manhattan? With you. <laughs> and, I've done it yeah. before, but NYU yeah. kind of necessitates. Uh, so yeah. what was it like when you got here? Was it what you expected? Um, I mean, of course, it wasn't exactly what I expected, because I feel like most of my opinion of New York was sort of based on sex in the city. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Just because it was like the only show that I binge watched that was based in New York. And, you know, I was also like a or am still, but, um, you know, a journalist, a writer who owns a lot of shoes. And so I really related with Carrie's character. Carrie. Cute, cute, cute. I mean, no one really wants to be a Carrie, but yeah, I'm kind of. No, Carrie. there's nothing wrong with being a Carrie. <laughs> I like. Who else would you want to be? Samantha. Ew. <laughs> yeah, she's the most like confident. Who's the and, lawyer? Yeah. What's the lawyer's Miranda. name? Miranda. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like people want to be Miranda's the least. I'm. A, I think I'm actually a Miranda Carrie. So okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know which one I am. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can revisit that. Oh yeah, that. I'll have to get to know you a little. Should better I before. just like ask every guest, male or female or any gender in between, which, which of the four <laughs> that they are once they show up in the studio? Let, yeah. Let's probably table that idea. Yeah. Okay. So you show up to live mm-hmm. your best carry life, <laughs> and it turns out that you can't afford an apartment as big as Carrie's. Uh, yeah. No. I well, I went from living like I said, alone in Austin in a studio um, to living in a three-bedroom um, apartment with roommates, of course. How did you find your first roommates? Well, I was lucky because the first roommates I had were my sisters. Oh, so, amazing. Yeah. Wait, we haven't talked about your siblings. Yeah, I'm a middle child. I have two sisters. Um, one and, older, one younger. Yeah. Three sisters. Just three and girls. They both were already here. No. So we all came here around the same time. Wow. Wait, this introduces so many new junctions. Yeah. I don't want to get too into this, but can you touch briefly on why they wanted to move here at the same time? 100%. Yeah. So my younger sister moved here because she was in her last semester of school and part of her, she actually went to school for fashion merchandising. So that was something that I was a little resentful and bitter about, I'll admit, because like I said, I thought that Things like that were out of the picture, you know, anything oh, to do with like the arts or, you know, of course, fashion being a part of the arts. That's interesting because when I hear fashion merchandising, I feel like that's a mitigating choice between yeah. loving fashion and needing to do something practical. Right. Yeah. It is a business, you know, degree. Yeah. And so I think that she also might have like done some, you know, negotiations with herself and the career that she wanted. Um 
with my parents. But I will also say that they just they gradually became more and more lenient with us, um, especially because, you know, obviously my older sister and I paved the way for this sort of like not going within the typical or just, you know, the preconceived realm that they wanted us to go into, which was engineering or medicine. And what about your older sister? She ended up being an East Asian studies major. Parents can't argue with that. Yeah, well, they didn't like it because it was liberal arts, but I think that they loved that she was interested in, you know, our culture. Right. Um, So my older sister was at the time in law school. So she's actually now a lawyer living in Kentucky and (laughs) a corporate lawyer, too. Um, And so she had a internship as well in um, the city at Anheuser-Busch. And my younger sister, like I said, had an internship that she was, um, you know, seeing out for the last semester of her college in fashion. Did you guys plan this together? Were you like, we all need to get internships in New York or did the stars just align? Um, Well, I think for the two of them, the stars kind of just aligned. I think that maybe my older sister made it easier for her to make the decision because she knew that we were also wanting to go there. But I'm not totally sure. I don't really entirely know what her decision-making skills were. Maybe it was just the best opportunity that she got. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my younger sister, you know, that she was the same way as me. We were were very similar that in that, you know, we both wanted to like, you know, live out these creative careers in New York City. Um, And I will admit that another part of my moving to New York the way that I did, you know, hastily without any job opportunities was that my sister was definitely going to be coming here because of her internship. And I sort of in this like sibling rivalry way couldn't let her beat me here yeah <laughs> so i moved here one month before they did and <laughs> they couldn't live your dreams before you <laughs> and, yeah and i found the apartment and we lived together um but my older sister was only there first semester so we ended up replacing her eventually and then um my younger sister after one year living uh with me in that apartment moved to the city because she's definitely way more of like a manhattan girl more of a, tr- a true carry I think that she's probably a Miranda Charlotte hybrid. <laughs> okay. But your older sister must be kind of Miranda E2. She's, yeah, she's also a Miranda Charlotte. I feel like them two are both Miranda Charlottes. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. <laughs> okay. So that that's really beautiful how that all panned out. And I, um, I'm an only child, so I'm like a little bit filled mm. with envy. But I'm also not filled with envy about the need, like the pressure to mm-hmm. to compete with these people who are sort of proxies for you for mm-hmm. for life achievements. Yeah, sounds definitely. stressful. It is stress, and I'm a middle child, yeah. so you know, extra. Okay, so you got here. You're living with them. Mm-hmm. Let's maybe skip. I'm sure living with your sisters was a great like stepping stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was comfortable, of course. So it, it was nice to like be around family, and it wasn't like I was just kind. Kind of like splash into the deep end. Um, right. I think that living here can be so alienating for some people. It's mm-hmm. really hard to make friends. Mm-hmm. I had the mitigating factor of like, or like the, I had the like waiting pool of college here. So mm-hmm. that made things a little easier. But I can't imagine just moving here as an adult yeah. and knowing no one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say that I was also lucky in that a lot of people from Austin moved to Brooklyn. It's like this, you know, open interchange, basically. People yeah. just go back and forth. That makes sense. Yeah. And LA too, of course. Um, but yeah, so I was just hustling really hard when I first came here because I didn't come here with a job opportunity. Um, I was 
let's see, I think my first job that I got was as an e-commerce manager for a skate shop called KCDC. It's the oldest skate shop in Brooklyn. Cool. They're still around. Um, and then I was, you know, so I, I took on some like random retail jobs too. I was freelance writing. Um, and I ended up also bartending, um, which was something so out of the realm of what I was, you know, used to. But I think that everyone should work in service industry because it teaches you a lot about humanity. <laughs> I'm sure. Do you think, what do you carry with you from that to this day? Well, now I think that it just, I think it makes me a lot more gracious toward other people because I understand what that's like to have people come in and treat you as like sort of subhuman in a way. Oof. Um, yeah, cause I was a cocktail waitress, um, and then I became a bartender and, you know, I worked on Saturday nights until 4am. Um, and so I, I just felt like I learned so much about like the way that people can treat people in, in the service industry. And now I'm just so much more aware of that. And, you know, whenever, and, you know, in New York, I think it's, you're used to like the harshness of people in the service industry. Um, and that's totally fine, but I just am so much more understanding of it and I don't feel any need to like you know, lashback or whatever. So how do we, how do we fast forward to now? What do you, are there any major life junctions or anything in between now and then that if X hadn't happened, you wouldn't Y? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think, so I ended up, like I said, I had multiple, I used to have like three to four jobs at any given moment. Um, But that was all up until, um, 2014, um, I got my first full-time like big girl job. Um, that kind of took me a little while longer than I felt like it did for most people. How did that make you feel? Was it frustrating or were you happy as a freelancer? Some people love that yeah, life. Yeah. I think I was, I was very, I was comfortable, um, in what I was doing. And I think that I'm also the kind of person where I'm so loyal to like the people that I work for some, for some weird reason. <laughs> um, and I also get very comfortable in the like positions that I'm in that I don't necessarily, um, while I do, I compare myself to people a lot, like all the time. Um, I wasn't necessarily seeing an opportunity that I necess- I thought that I could ease my way into. So I was fine. But at the same time, of course, you know, comparing myself to my sisters who both had, you know, these like very, um, these much more set, you know, careers or these set, um, you know, paths for themselves. Um, and, you know, even just obviously hearing, you know, my mom would be like, I'm concerned about you. You were bartending and, you know, I thought that you would have a salary and stuff. So there was a lot of like external pressure. Um, and so I, I finally ended up taking a full-time job when it was offered to me um but it was outside of my out, outside of the field that I thought I was going to be working in I'm so interested in that and I want to talk about it but I have one question mm-hmm. about the bartending thing yeah. it's not really a junction question I just think it's an insight into your personality did it did part of you love living a life that wasn't expected of you was part of you like yeah, you're right, mom. I am bartending and I don't have a salary and I'm making it work. Yeah. Or I did mean, that weigh on you? No, I think I, I loved it. I, I really did like it. I didn't have to learn how to bartend. I could have just been like, this is going to be a, you know, cocktail waitressing job that I have for a little while and then I'm going to like collect my money and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up, you know, getting really into it. I, you know, trained to be a bartender and that's obviously different at a cocktail bar than just like a dive bar. Um, and I ended up even competing in this thing called Speed Rack, which is an all-female speed bartending competition. How fun! <laughs> um, 
which I was in the top eight for, but I got out in my first round because I um, had already at the time actually been working my full time job. So I was only bartending one night or two nights a week. Actually, I was I was working seven days a week that at that time. Wow. <laughs> so I didn't quite have the same chops as the other women did because they were working at fast pace like Manhattan bars like mm-hmm. every single night, you know. Um, which is fine though. I, I felt just really proud to be there. Um, but yeah, I got really, I got really into bartending for the moment that I was in it because I just feel like I love giving like a hundred percent of myself into anything that I do. Um, and for a while, I also really loved how I, it was such a departure from what's expected, you know, of like an Asian American female. And yeah, yeah, I liked that. You know, I, I, I felt like a, I, well, I'm a minority in most <laughs> places and fields that I'm in, but, um, I was definitely a minority within like bartenders because you see mostly like white males. Right. As bartenders. <laughs> yeah. I love, okay. Two things. One, I think it's really beautiful to know that and say that and own that about yourself that you give 100% to everything you do. Like mm-hmm. that is beautiful and awesome and so empowering to hear someone say. <laughs> Secondly, I feel like that doubles back on my original question that I really am wanting to lean into mm-hmm. with this project is like, when are you doing what's not expected of you? Mm. And I feel like those moments when you're doing what's not expected of you are like, what makes you you? Yeah, yeah. It's something I'm also trying to lean into more because I think that there's always... A struggle within myself to kind of like go the path of convention mm-hmm. um, just because first of all there's always going to be outside pressures um, you know to just kind of conform and you know some of those do come from like your family if they're more traditional or you know just seeing your friends taking more conventional paths and doing things like buying houses and and you know comparing yourselves to them and, and thinking that these are sort of um you know, things that you're supposed to be achieving at the same time. Um, but then also sort of giving into, you know, like the things that make you a little bit like weird or like make you not normal. Um, and, and yeah, I think that's always a battle within myself that I'm trying to like figure out which side is going to win. Yeah. yeah. I relate to that. It's where the life's at. Yeah. So let's talk about the junction that you've recently reached. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, just for the sake of time, you mentioned taking a full-time job mm-hmm. that was outside the field you wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. That's the job that you're... Well, it's actually not. The job that I took before was a tech startup. Uh-huh. Um, they had this app called Photo with three H's. Oh. It was basically, actually, it was exactly what Boomerang knocked off. Um, so Photo, unfortunately, is no longer a thing, but they are still a, you know, start a tech startup. Um, but they work more in the events um, field. Like a booth, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, they had yeah. the photo booth. And, um, and that's what I was doing was I was um, a producer, you know, I was helping produce their events. Um, at the same time, obviously, like really into the app, though, because it was this very artistic thing. Um, and so, you know, that was a way for me to feel out my creativity in this job that it wasn't super creative, I guess. And, uh, I, my, the next big choice that I made basically was, was quitting that job. And I, I did quit it just like without any opportunities, um, on the horizon. I, I had been there for, I would probably say that I was there for like six months, um, and wanting to leave. Uh, but I, I just sort of, 
again, you know, liked the stability. Um, I felt like, you know, I couldn't leave if I didn't have another job lined up, but I'm not totally sure what gave me the, you know, that final push to just like quit. Um, but I decided to quit and try to freelance right full time, but I ended was up it hard. Uh, the decision was really hard. It, I, I definitely kept on, I kept on delaying it. And I will say that there was, um, a family tragedy that sort of, first of all, delayed it more, but then also sort of gave me that extra push to like, you know, just go for it because I, you know, obviously anytime there's a death in the family, you think about the shortness of life. Um, and so I ended up quitting that job in June of this year and I got a job a week later, basically. The universe. So I am still working a full-time job um, and it is um, in my field, you know, in, in journalism. And um, it was it was just weird. I still do look on that, like the freelance lifestyle though, with sort of envy because I think the grass is always greener on the other side. And I've never done that. I, I did obviously before with like the multiple jobs, but I didn't I didn't pursue just journalism, full-time freelance. And that's something that I've always thought was, I don't know, glamorous or romantic somehow. Yeah. And, well, I think another another crazy, like, before we get more into that, just the, the grace of quitting something and having something fall to catch you into mm -hmm. place a week later is, mm -hmm. like, really beautiful and speaks to... Probably you like hustled to create that opportunity mm -hmm. for yourself. It wasn't like out of thin air, mm -hmm. but that's cool. And I think is a clear sign from just the the world mm -hmm. that you made the right choice. Yeah, it felt like that for sure. Do you feel like that would happen again if you did the same thing to oh get back into that life or no? I don't know. I don't like to test fate, but <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a similar thing, though, where it's going to be one of those things where it's a push and pull. And finally, I just have to, like, take a leap and see what happens. Maybe it won't be the same. Um, but at this point, I think that I've gained enough confidence to just know that I know that I can make it no matter what because I'm willing to do things like bartend and take part-time jobs and random odd gigs and jobs just in order to like survive um and I think that's a part of obviously the, like immigrant uh, mentality the hustle yeah the immigrant hustle yeah I'm Absolutely. like I'm not one of those people where I'm like I'm only gonna hold out for like the best salary at the best place you know with the best position I definitely a lot more of just like I'm okay with the struggle as long as I know that I'm um, taking steps toward whatever it is that I want my end goal to be yeah totally I think the the there's security in not needing security mm -hmm. there's almost this like extreme boldness that comes from knowing you don't need anything. Mm -hmm. um, and it also sounds like, it sounds like when you take a step in the right direction, or rather when you're pointed in the right direction, any next step is a good step. So whatever you do toward this goal that you're yeah. working toward now, working in journalism full time, which mm -hmm. you already are and, want to make even a bigger part of your life possibly yeah any anything you do that points in that direction will be the right thing yeah I definitely agree with that and you know a lot of people who I've met in New York you know people who moved here more recently they're always asking you know for advice and I feel like my biggest advice is always that basically is just 
you know, if you know what you want to do, you don't have to wait for that perfect opportunity to come by. You have to just kind of like do little things in order to get to that place. And so maybe it is just like, I'm going to sign up for a job or I'm going to join this like, you know, Facebook group with job opportunities or I'm going to like, you know, call that person up for coffee that, you know, might have some advice or connections. You know, those are all just like little things that you can do. And it doesn't have to be achieving that actual goal for it to like feel like success. Right. For it it to feel like momentum. Mm -hmm. And what a gift to kind of, have known that this is what you wanted to do since high school. (laughs) I think that's the problem that people have is just not knowing and knowing or deciding committing is a big part of this. Yeah. And, and, you know, I did kind of feel, I, there were times when I felt a little bit more like straight away from it. And, and, you know, when I did take that full-time job in tech, I was, considering, you know, just kind of giving up journalism completely. Um, What was that like? What were the pros and cons of? It was, I think it's interesting because then you get the chance to explore, you know, different avenues and, and, you know, finding out what's, what's right and what's not right for you. And, um, and, and I think that what I, what I actually came away with it though, was that I, it wasn't that I was necessarily in the wrong field or that journalism wasn't right for me. I think that what I, learned was that the way in which I was pursuing it before wasn't right for me because I thought that I should work for, you know, just like a straight up fashion arts and culture magazine or, or website. And, um, you know, and I, this sounds maybe corny, but definitely post-election, I was like, oh, wait, no, I, I need to write about news. I need to write about, you know, like life and culture and things that are to me. And this, I'm not trying to trivialize fashion or art because those are very important things um but to me i felt like these were things that were more consequential that i really needed to focus on um and so and so i'm kind of trying to take more of that route where i'm i i want to write about things that um are are being affected right now by this administration you know yeah i think a lot of people had that experience yeah um and i think in some ways having something horrible going on in the world makes the need for outlet and fashion and art that much more yeah. important. So you're right. It's not to trivialize the people who are still chugging along in those areas. Mm-hmm. But I think we all just sort of zoomed into what mattered yeah. over the last year or so. Definitely. Do, we have, I mean, we have four more minutes. Mm-hmm. I need like a minute at the end. I'd love to know <laughs> what steps you've taken or, or what, what you have in mind to do next to work toward that goal of focusing on what matters to you? Well, right now I'm actually working on something that's very important to me. Um, I told you a little bit about it before, but um, I'm writing a piece for Banana Magazine, which is actually my sister, my younger sister's um, magazine. It's all about contemporary Asian culture. So obviously something that's of interest to me. Um, But I'm writing a piece all about Asian American pro doms, which is a professional dominatrix um and i have been a lot more interested in sort of investigating um you know different aspects of my own identity um and my own gender and so i'm moving toward you know figuring out different ways to do that through my writing and through you know investigative reporting and research and uh just finding new ways to write about and express, you know, the 
ways in which can like the ways that contemporary Asian Americans um, are identifying these days, because, you know, we're no longer just fresh off the boat. You know, the we're not living the same American dream or immigrant immigrant stories that our, our parents are. So I feel like there just needs to be new outlets and new ways to kind of explore the unique experience that we have. Yeah, completely agree. Diversity of storytelling is what's <laughs> going to save the world, I swear. Yeah. Is there anything of your own that you'd like to plug? This was a good plug in your sister's magazine. Sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Is there any other project or website that you'd like to direct listeners to? Um, yeah, sure. Well, so uh, Banana can be found at banana-mag.com. Um, and like I said, that's my sister's magazine. It's really great. I love the pieces that they do. It's about kind of like this um, intersection between like Eastern and Western Asian cultures. Um, and then I do actually have this art project that is ongoing um, since my days in Austin called Voyeur. Um, this is something very out of the realm of what I've been talking about, but, um, it's wearevoyeur.com and it's this art project that I do where I, um, because I'm such a voyeur, I give, uh, disposable cameras to different people and I have them take a roll of film in the span of one week. And then I interview them. I post all their pictures. Um, that is just so cool. I yeah. love that. Okay, uh, it's about time for us to wrap up here. Yeah. Um, thank, thank you, you so for much. listening. Thank, thank you, you so for much for being here. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. Donate to Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, find them on their website for ways to donate. It's a community radio station, nonprofit, funded by listeners like you. Uh, theme song is by Nation of Language. Check them out on Bandcamp. And if you have any interest in being on the show or any questions for me, you can find me on Facebook or email me, asha at radiofreebrooklyn.com. Uh, that's all. Bye. <laughs>